Welcome to a special edition of Between the Headphones, Behind Enemy Bylines, the in-season preview podcast. I'm Owen Warden, your host for this podcast series, where I'll talk with sports editors from Georgia football's upcoming opponents. This week, the Daily Beacon sports editor, Caleb Jaro, rejoins the show to discuss Tennessee's season thus far and preview its matchup with Georgia. Welcome back to another episode of the in-season preview podcast. We're wrapping up here, but you know what? We and we got the last SEC game here, and, and Caleb Giroux, he's joined me once again, of course, to break down all things Tennessee. Caleb, before we get into any of that, how you doing, man? How's life been? Yeah, it's been good. You know, basketball season started up, so there's not a lot of sleep to be found with the overlap of football, and then volleyball is wrapping up. Tennessee will more than likely knock on wood host a volleyball, um, what do we call it, regional NCAA tournament first round here in Knoxville, so... We've been super busy, and Tennessee had their worst loss of the season on Saturday, so that means we're even more busy now. Yeah, well, thankfully, you know, the other sports are coming in clutch uh, with, with some talent. You know, basketball's looking good. Volleyball's looking great. You know, over here in Athens, you know, we're making sure soccer's rolling. Had the first round against Liberty, uh, who we've been talking about a little bit. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they, they ended up getting a win over Liberty. So, you know, great stuff happening outside of the realm of football. But let's bring it back. It's football time. And I know Tennessee's coming off a tough loss last week as they've had a couple tough losses uh, so far this year. Go ahead and walk me through what Tennessee season's been like this so far. Some of the highs, some of the lows, and, and just an overall perception and, and review of, of their season. Yeah, I would say overall, this season's kind of been, I guess, sort of what you'd expect, but not to the caliber of what you expected. I mean, coming in, they started off kind of lackluster against you know cupcake teams like Austin P and borderline FCS opponent Virginia. And then you travel to Gainesville and get beat by Florida pretty handily. I think, if I remember correctly, the game feels like it was two years ago now, but I'm pretty sure Florida, excuse me, only threw two or three times in the second half instead of like winning pretty easily. Then you come back to Knoxville, you get your big SEC wins over South Carolina, Texas A&M, all as well. Joe Milton's looking good. We're flowing. We're looking good. And then you go on the road, and all hopes begin to die. First half against Alabama reminds you of last year with you know the Hinton Hooker run offense. Joe Milton was piecing together some of his best drives. The running game was looking good. The defense against you know Jalen Milrow and the Alabama offense, which maybe isn't the best offense in the country by any means, but it's still Jalen Milrow's a solid quarterback. They look good. And then you come out of halftime and you open with the craziest, and I would call this probably the lowest moment of the season. The referee said that somebody in the front row of Tennessee's kick return team called a fair catch. And then when they caught it on the back row and returned it, it was a penalty because you can't return a fair catch and your players aren't expecting that safety violation for safety reasons. Well, he, he catches the he, uh, Kansas, or uh, yeah, so the Turner catches the ball, returns it, and the ref blows it dead and downs it at the four. So Tennessee, all of Tennessee's momentum is gone. They're in Alabama's student section with the ball at the four. They run it three times, punt. Alabama scores. Then it just completely derailed. Tennessee didn't score a single point in the second half against Alabama. That's probably the low point of the season, I would say. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a high point, really, because everything's kind of tainted. Because when you look at this year, or when you talk to anybody around the program or fans outside of the program, they always bring up the second half against Alabama and what could have been. And then this Saturday against Missouri, I mean, most people expected that Tennessee would have a dogfight in Columbia, but nobody expected that. So Missouri goes three and out, Tennessee goes three and out, 
And then Missouri pieces together a 20-play drive that lasts almost 11 minutes and takes down so much clock. And Tennessee only ran three plays in the first quarter and not enough plays in the second quarter to do anything and ended up only scoring one touchdown, which was a beautiful throw from Joe Milton, the 46-yard touchdown to Dante Thornton, and he ends up with a season-ending injury on the catch. So it did not go good for Tennessee at Missouri. People are blaming artificial turf and referees, but I don't think either of those things spotted Missouri 36 points in that game. No, it's it's one of those things that, you know, it's just kind of one of those just spiraling out of control. It's kind of what happened second half against Alabama, like you like you mentioned, and it's and it's the whole game against Missouri, really, and it's just, man, it was brutal. It, it, it's just brutal to see how that game just kind of continued to devolve and out, out of hand. And, you know, it's not like this Tennessee team is devoid of talent, and I think that's the biggest thing is it's so odd because it's still a solid football team that just things have just not gone their way. Just the momentum swings, the having to travel to play Missouri, to have to travel to play Alabama, you know, these type of losses are just brutal. To have to go into the swamp is a tough task for any team, let alone a Florida team that had hit its stride, you know, and then lost it later down the line, but they were they were hitting it pretty well right there. Um, just some tough losses for this Volunteers team uh, that, you know, I... I it's just tough. It's tough, especially because of how high our preseason expectations were for this team. Yeah, I mean, I expected 10-2 and two with a loss to Alabama on the road and another team not named Georgia. Looking at it, I thought they could – I mean, in Neyland Stadium, I thought they stacked up well against Georgia. Now, I mean, this team realistically is finishing 8-4 and four because Georgia played its best ball game of the year on Saturday and Tennessee played by far its worst. Nothing has kind of went the way you expected. Joe Milton was expected to kind of be the heir apparent to Hinton Hooker. And now this offense, if they can't run the ball, they don't have an offense. Defense stopped the run very well early in the year. I mean, number one run defense. And then if they go on the road and at Florida in the first half, that run defense is nowhere to be found. Cody Schrader became, I want to say, I think it was the first player in SEC history to record over 200 rushing yards and over 100 receiving yards. And that was against Tennessee's defense. I mean, it's not just that they're failing here and there, which most good teams, every good team does fail here and there. It was just start to finish poor performance that led to that. And Missouri kind of got the cheat code that even though this Tennessee offense isn't as, you know, the caliber of last year's, if you keep the ball out of the offense's hands, they can't score. If you can't score, you can't win football games. And you know, we saw that on Saturday against Missouri. And I would Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, it helps too that the that Georgia just played Missouri and just beat Missouri. You know, so you kind of see those things, and you know, Cody Schrader looking like the best running back in the SEC after two great back to back weeks against you know solid defenses, especially setting records and stuff like that. So, you know, tough loss wasn't even a, a competition. Uh, it just but he's a talented dude. You know, uh, we've seen plenty of walk ons have plenty of success. We saw Stetson Bennett literally uh, against Ole Miss get the Burlesworth Trophy. Uh, I have a feeling we know who's that who that's going to um, for Cody Schrader. Um, but uh, let's hop into it because you mentioned a guy in Joe Milton. Joe Milton was a guy that not just you and I, but a lot of people had a ton of confidence in, especially the way he came in for Hendon Hooker, played well, got them a big-time bowl win in which he was frankly dominant. Um, had probably his best game of his career so far. Um, and this season has not been that. 
Um, it's not been the same level of guy that we thought he could be. So, Caleb, go and walk me through what has this season for Joe Milton been like and, and what have kind of the struggles and, and how has he kind of not how, – how has he fallen short of those expectations? Yeah, and I think playing quarterback in Tennessee's offense kind of has unfair expectations. And when you look at kind of his play under a microscope, it's obviously not what you want from your starting quarterback, and it's not what Josh Heupel wants. But then when you kind of zoom out and look at it in terms of the whole team, I mean, he's completing passes at a 65% clip. He's got 16 touchdowns and five interceptions. And I will say one of those interceptions was him trying to force a ball at the end of the Missouri game. <clears throat> that ended up going for a pick six. So all in all, I would say he's played good enough for Tennessee to win these games. Just when Hendon Hooker did for Tennessee's offense, I don't think can ever be overstated. He's probably the second best quarterback in Tennessee history. And I think you're now realizing that the team was going to take a step back regardless of who you had at quarterback. And a lot of people are calling for, you know, Nico Iamaliava to start on Saturday, but I don't know if that's going to make any difference in this offense realistically, because you look at Missouri, Tennessee couldn't run the ball. And this year we've seen them play their passing game off that run attack, rush attack. And there was none to play off of on Saturday in Columbia. And then they kind of keyed in on the pass and Joe Milton couldn't get anything going. And the offense just kind of went downhill from there. So, all in all, I would say he's probably played, you know, good enough to win and been able to piece a couple of things together. It's just he's not Hendon Hooker, and Tennessee fans expected that out of him. The coaching staff has ridden him this whole season, though, because, as they say, he's a good leader and a good game manager. So at the end of it all, I think they kind of know he's not the talent that Hendon Hooker was, and I think everybody can admit that. But he's managed the game well. He's led this offense. He's kept them in some games, too. He's gotten his legs moving. He's ran the ball a little bit better recently, which has added another layer to the run attack. But, I, I mean, I'm kind of split. You know, it's 50-50. Yeah. He's not Hendon Hooker, but you also can't put the Missouri loss on him at all. And, realistically, that Alabama loss either. I mean, it's not his fault that they started at the four-yard line in the second half. Play calling has been iffy at times, too. They started the Missouri game with three runs up the middle, and they just punted. So that's obviously not what you want to see. So I think it's a mix of everything. I wouldn't blame the failures of this year on Joe Milton, but I wouldn't say that he's been, you know, a star on this offense either. Uh, yeah, very fair. Um, I think that's kind of the 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 thing to point to. And I, I definitely would not turn to Nico Yamaleva. Um, I just don't think it's his time yet. Uh, he's still a freshman. He's still learning. Um, I think that's a future prospect that you that you can be excited about. However, I would not throw him into the fire right now um, as that can have catastrophic results going forward um, unless you really just want to see what you got. Um, you know, Cade Klubnick did it decently well at the end of last year, but, like, you know, I mean, he's not playing all world right now, so it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, is it a good idea? I don't know. But Joe Milton, again, you, you said it yourself. His stats are not bad. He's still thrown for over 2,000 yards. He's still completed 65% of his passes. He still has 16 touchdowns, only five interceptions. Like, on paper, like, those aren't bad. The eye test is a little rough. I know he's had some overthrown balls. You know, with a, with a cannon like that, it's it's going to be easy to do so. Um, but, you know, I think the the on the on-field, the, the eye test isn't great for Joe. But the stats are solid. He's doing enough to win games, especially when the run game's going. But I also think a big thing is he's only really got, in my eyes, one receiver to throw to, two 
uh, with, a, with a couple, you know, here and there. But, you know, if the offense, if the running game isn't humming, it's just not going to work out. So, Caleb, I'm going to pivot back to you. You know, just this overall Tennessee offense, what does it look like when it's at its best? Who's leading the pack? Who's doing that? And then, you know, who who are some of the key pieces on this team? But then also, just why haven't why hasn't it consistently worked? You know, I think this offense is at its best when you have that run game going. I know I sound like a broken record, but their offense this year and last year was completely the opposite. This year it's been 50-50 almost. I mean, you're averaging 213 yards on the ground a game compared to 242 through the air. And that number was a lot closer to 50-50 before this past weekend in Missouri where they couldn't run the ball at all. But you look at the losses, and in, I want to say two of three, two of the three Tennessee losses this year, Joe Milton has been the leading rusher, which is not what you want to see on the stat sheet from the running back room. But in an ideal world, the way this offense works is that you have Jalen Wright, you know, run on first down for 10 yards, and then while the defense is catching their breath after Jalen Wright just kind of got a first down, then you have Joe Milton hitting deep field passes. And once the once the defense has to respect that run game and they can pause on those RPOs, you see that pass attack start to take, you know, take aim and kind of ride. I mean, we've seen Joe Milton's accuracy get better throughout the course of the year, and he's got more comfortable in this offense, I would say. He looked earlier in the year, like Virginia, Austin P, some of those early games, and it felt like the ball was either three rows into the stands or breaking the wide receiver's fingers. Now on those RPOs, with the defense respecting the run, he's able to hit a scroll wide on a post route or hit a Ramel Keaton on a screen or a slant. And I think he mentioned it earlier, too, his wide receivers are dropping like flies at this point. Brew McCoy was his best target, and he had a gruesome injury. And Brew McCoy's an easy guy to throw to because he looks like a tight end, but he can move like a wide receiver. So Joe loved getting the ball to him. He had good hands, too. Then you replace him with Dante Thornton, and they swung Dante Thornton from the slot to the outside, and it was like magic. Lo and behold, he was an outside wide receiver the whole time and had a great game against South Carolina and kind of started coming into his own, a great game against Kentucky. And then he catches the 46-yard touchdown on Saturday, and he gets hurt, and he's out for the season. So now you're you're starting to see Joe have to throw to some of these younger wide receivers who can't make up for some of his mistakes, I think would be the best way to put it. Because with a guy like Brew McCoy or even Dante Thornton and Ramel Keaton, and Ramel Keaton's had his drop issues too, if Joe Milton doesn't put the ball perfect for these younger guys, they're probably not coming up with the catch. They're not going to, you know, make an acrobatic catch behind them. Or they just don't – they're young. They don't – I mean, they haven't don't have a lot of game time compared to, you know, a guy like Brew McCoy. If Joe threw it probably within a five-foot radius of him anywhere, he would make it play. So you have that too. Uh, it's – the offense is, like, hot and cold. Missouri, they played keep away, so the offense never got in a rhythm. I think a big thing for Josh Heifel's offense is that rhythm, that, you know, play, dink and dunk, long bomb, touchdown, and then you can come back out and do it again. The problem at Missouri is when you start getting three and outs, they're not normal three and outs. Those three and outs run, you know, 20 seconds off the game clock. And now your defense is gas, and you see what happens at Missouri. So it's stuff like that. Alabama is another example of it. You come out of halftime, you mess up that rhythm of starting to drive on the four-yard line, and you never get back into it in Alabama, and you don't score the whole second half. So if Tennessee's offense gets into that rhythm, it's virtually unstoppable just because of how quick it runs and the talent they have. It's just a matter of can they get in that rhythm. And with a defense like Georgia's, I don't know if they'll ever be able to get into that rhythm, although playing in Neyland Stadium would definitely help. Oh, it's definitely an advantage, and we'll, we'll get into that uh, as we kind of get further along. But yeah, the the wide receiver issues of 
I mean, of course, a couple drops from from a couple guys, but really it's and, and just missing throws. But it's the injuries, and that's been brutal to lose a guy like Dante Thornton that had actually shown promise. And you're down to Ramel Keaton, Squirrel White is your two guys. Squirrel White, I think, is still pretty good. Um, he's flashed a couple times, you know. I mean, there's still things that you want to see better from him. Still things you need to see improved, but I still think a solid player that could be a really good player if there were more guys around him. Um, but you know, Ramel Keaton is fine. But then you also got Chas Nimrod. You got Caleb Webb, two redshirt freshmen behind him. And then you look at their freshman class, and, and it seems like two guys that they're trying to redshirt in Kel- Cameron Selden and Nathan Leacock. Both those guys are, you know, possibly going to have to play. They're probably possibly going to have to take off that red shirt to, to have enough receivers out there. So it's like, at a certain point, I mean, it just gets brutal, you know? And what makes it even more concerning is you mentioned Cameron Selden, who came in as a wide receiver. They've turned him into a running back. So he's not even worked out with the wide receiver. So I don't know if you can throw him in there if you need him as a depth piece. Nate Leacock has shown, like, that natural athleticism. But also in practice, he was kind of the media pools guy where no matter how good you threw the ball to him, he's probably gone. And I don't know if it was just a freshman thing, you know, spring ball, fall practice, nerves or anything like that, but his hands weren't good on the practice field. I don't know if I would trust him with the game season. So you're right. The depth is getting tested, and as much as this offense relies on wide receivers and, you know, even before injuries rotated them in and out, it's getting kind of scary now that we get down to – you know, the issues with Dante Thornton's injury, if he can come back. I mean, he's done for the season, but maybe he can come back for the postseason. If Squirrel White gets hurt, who's playing the slot? Because Dante Thornton was your backup slot receiver. I mean, you have your punt returner, D. Williams, who played defensive back, trying to learn the offense, but I don't think you can trust him full time. So an injury to Squirrel is probably my biggest worry in that group, is like who would play the slot. Yeah, if Squirrel goes down, I really don't know where they would turn to and I mean, again, yeah, you you mentioned it. They moved Cameron Selden to running back at a certain point. Do you just try? Do you just try and move him back to receiver for a little bit? Do you try and cross train him as a freshman? Like, at a certain point, you're just running out of options. It's 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 brutal. But you know, between all of that, at the very least, you know, the offensive line isn't at the same level either. You know that it has been in past seasons, but it's still not the worst. You know, at least you still got Cooper Mays out there who's solid, and your tackles aren't terrible. So, you know, like. It's just it's just a messy offense that just I was not expecting to be so messy coming into the year. Yeah, and like I said, Hinton Hooker corrected a lot of issues silently that nobody even noticed. Like the offensive line last year, made I mean they had Darnell Wright and a lot of and Cooper Davis on that line. It was a good line, but even if it wasn't, Hinton Hooker had the ball out in like four or five seconds. He also had a natural pocket presence that Joe Minton doesn't possess, which. Joe Milton's been fine without that, and he's kind of grown in that area. But still, I mean, Hinton Hooker just could feel the pocket closing and when to get out and when to escape. The offensive line has come together, though. Cooper Mays was hurt for the Florida game and much of the early part of the season, and they were just a complete mess. They had Andridge Carrick out there. and He didn't start at Texas, transferred to Tennessee, and played even worse. But now you have John Campbell from Miami who's kind of shored up one of those spots. Devonta Spragans has shored up his spot. You still have some – lackadaisical errors that get Joe Milton blindside hit and strip sack has happened a couple of times. But all in all, with Cooper Mays back leading that offensive line, you've got a lot better performance from those guys. And, I mean, you've seen it in the run game. That's another thing. If you get the run game going, defensive linemen can't pin their ears back and blitz the passer. So it kind of all goes hand in hand and it all kind of goes back to that running back room that if Tennessee can't run the ball and get in a rhythm, this offense is really just dead. 
yeah, it, it it's just unfortunate. And they're going against a, a Georgia team that, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't successfully shut down Cody Schrader, but not really many teams have been able to, oddly enough, this year. But, you know, they, they shut down Ray Davis against Kentucky. You know, they held um, they held uh, Quinchon Judkins to only 75. Um, it's a good run-stopping team still. So it's going to be interesting to talk about them, you know, later in the show. But I did want to pivot to the defense um, before we even get to that. Um, you know, it's, it's been very up and down. There's been times where things just kind of fold. But they've got a lot of sacks. They're, they're finding ways to get to the quarterback. And, you know, uh, specifically a guy like James Pierce is doing – really well so far this year despite not even really necessarily being a, a full-time starter it's one of those things that's very interesting so for a, a team that you know for a defense that I thought was going to be possibly worse than they are right now they're actually not doing too bad so Caleb go and walk us through you know what is about this defense what do they do well what do, what do they do successfully well the passing attack the passing defense and secondary excuse me was not good last year or the year before and I guess the best Medicine to fix that is just sack the quarterback. And they put James Pierce on the edge and let him run loose. You've got Tyler Barron still on that defensive line, and he has looked really good. In the middle, you've got Omar Norman Lott, who is a transfer from Arizona State. He did not come in with a lot of buzz, and he has just become a force in the middle next to Amari Thomas. You've got bodies now that they rotate in and out of the defensive line. You didn't have that last season. So you've got a guy like Elijah Simmons coming off the bench to provide fresh legs and maybe a third and one to push against the run. There's still a lot of question marks and injuries on this defense. Freshman linebacker Arian Carter is out for the year, and he was a speedy guy that can make up for a lot of mistakes. Keenan Peely, who came from BYU, a middle linebacker who kind of is like that, that traditional middle linebacker that you think of with the big shoulder pads, big dude, just nailing running backs in the backfield. He's out for the season with injury. So now you have Aaron Beasley, who's kind of playing the Mike and Will spots, even though he's much better at the Will paired with Elijah Herring, who probably had his worst game of the season on Saturday. He graded out, I think, at like 31.2, the lowest on Tennessee's defense for PFF grades. And there were just some plays, and I wasn't at the game. I was watching on TV. But you see, like, Cody Schrader run by, and then just Elijah Herring taking the worst route to chase. And it's just plays like that. Heifel said he had his eyes in the wrong spot. That's concerning. Your secondary, honestly, is not playing bad. I mean, when you think of the Missouri game, they got shredded by Cody Schrader. It's the linebacker's responsibility to pick him up out of the backfield, not a cornerback's. So they haven't looked bad secondary-wise. Injuries in the secondary, Kamal Haddon's out for the year. Samari McDonald's banged up. You're going to soon start to get into those freshman defensive backs, but Willie Martinez got a good freshman class of defensive backs in the last recruiting cycle that came out of high school ready to play. So there isn't much question. You can throw a Ricky Gibson in there. and He can probably hold his own for the most part, albeit probably undersized but he can hold his own and keep up with the receiver. So the secondary's improved. The numbers look a lot better on paper because the sacks are up. That Missouri game, maybe we'll look back at the end of the year and say it was an outlier, but we also saw the run defense not show up against Florida, and then they got torched in the first half of Gainesville as well. So the run defense has been very good, which has forced teams into the pass, which then they can just pin their ears back and sack the quarterback, and then you get picks and fumbles and everything that comes with that. So that's when the defense is at its best. It's at its worst at Missouri when you can't stop the run and then the running back is just running free out of the backfield in the pass as well. Brady Cook broke contain just about every time he dropped back in the pocket. So it's little things like that, which you still see the youth of a guy like James Pierce who maybe rushed too far in and didn't set the edge. But still, all in all, the defense is much improved. 
And I think when we talked about it in the preseason, I said that the defense and the offense would become a lot closer. And I thought it was because the defense would take a step up and the offense would take a step back. But I did not realize it would be that drastic as it has been now. And I'd probably say the defense is one of the strongest suits of this team. Yeah, uh, and, and that's one of the weird things. I don't think if, – if, if, if we traveled back in time and told ourselves when we were doing this series over the summer that the defense would be the best part of this team – I do not think I would have believed either of us because of how much hype this offensive had. But right now, sitting here right now, I would agree with you. Um, I think guys like James Pierce has have been honestly awesome being able to just run free and, and, and really show themselves as a just athletic edge, just a guy that can go after and get it. And, you know, Tyler Barron, awesome. Been been a really talented player. And it's, and it's one of those things that, you know, we didn't really know how it would go. Uh, there wasn't much, there wasn't a great amount of success or anything with this team, but ultimately they found pieces to make things work. The run-stopping ability is still a bit weak, but overall, I think it's still full of pretty talented guys. Um, but speaking of talent and stuff like that, and I, and I know this might be a little bit difficult simply for the fact uh, that, you know, it's been a little bit disappointing, but I, I, I always like to ask, you know, who on this team has been in a, in a in a in a season that's been a little bit disappointing? Who on this team has been just awesome? You know, awesome to cover, awesome to watch, awesome to talk to. You know, who's your favorite player? Just whether it's a journalist perspective or even you as a Tennessee student. You know, who's been the most fun to watch and cover this year? See, when I first thought about this, I would have to say Kamal Haddon because last season he was probably the worst defensive back on the field in the SEC. And this year, he completely turned that around and became Tennessee's quarterback one and locked down some very good receivers, got a couple picks, a pick six. And then he hurt his shoulder, was out for the season. And that's just like the worst blow for a guy who was just putting it together, like proving fans wrong. He was on Twitter, like clapping back at fans about how much he had improved. So from that standpoint, if he was still healthy, I would definitely say him because he was having a very good season for Tennessee. And it was a season they needed because there's so much shuffling in that secondary. Having a guy like Kamal Haddon who can step up and be that quarterback one allowed the coaching staff to mess around with everybody else while knowing, like, hey, the number one wide receiver will not be open for Kamal Haddon on the field. But now looking at it, I would definitely have to say McCallan Castles, <clears throat> veteran guy, old guy from UC Davis, came over here, and he's having so much success. Every time he talks to the media, he has the biggest smile ever. He's so excited to be up there. He's looked good on the field, too. The tight ends, which take this as the offensive line is bad or the tight ends are good. The tight ends for Tennessee are consistently the highest-rated run blockers, so he's always been the top of that group. He's had a couple touchdowns. He caught Nico Imaliava's one and only touchdown this season, his first career touchdown. And probably my favorite thing is he said after that touchdown, he had Nico sign the gloves on the sideline, and he's going to hang them up and frame them in his room. So he's just a cool dude to talk to. He's a nice guy. Came over here, like came to Tennessee just to get exposure, get better at football, try to go to the next level. John Campbell's another guy like that. Now that I think about it, he's always got a smile on his face. The first time he ever stepped in the media room, he said that he transferred to Tennessee because Knoxville has a Waffle House. And Miami didn't have Waffle House for like 45 minutes within the campus. And and he wasn't a transfer either that transferred like to not because he wasn't playing. It was a lateral move. But he said no Miami fans showed up to the game. The media coverage wasn't good. So he entered the transfer portal and wanted to go somewhere where he'd get coverage and get, you know, fans at games and just have fun. Chose Tennessee, and now he's 
him and Javante Spragans, their energy on the field, they're always jumping up and down, yelling about something. And John Campbell told us all to go eat a waffle sandwich or something from Waffle House. So, and he said he goes after the games with some of the other transfers that he became friends with when he first got here. So those would probably be my, I guess two or three kind of cheated on the question, but good personality. No. Hey, if there's any time to cheat on a question, I think that's the perfect one to do so. Because I mean, that's that's the ones where you get to find out some of the more fun players. Like, um, I remember like we were covering Warren Brinson. I've I've told this story a little bit, but like you know, we were covering Warren Brinson, first media availability ever, and he he drops like he like says uh says the a word, and he looks at like the SID rep and is like, did I just mess up? And then and then he's like, no, you're fine. And you know, just a guy that's just smiling. He's he's goofing off. He's having a great time. You know, and of course, you know, we've never gotten him again, but, you know, it's just one of those guys that, you know, you enjoy getting them. It's just fun to, to have them on and, and, and talk to those guys because, you know, when they're having a great time and they're, when they're having fun, you're having fun with them. It's one of those infectious personalities. So to see guys like John Campbell, McCallie Castles, like those are fun. That's fun. And, and you know what? Anyone anyone that's a big Waffle House fan, uh, you know, I respect it. You know, I, I, I as a North Carolina kid, I didn't appreciate them until I got down here. Uh, to Georgia back for high school and you know what I appreciate now I appreciate the love of Waffle House so much respect to John Campbell on that one yep Waffle Sandwiches I still haven't gotten to try it but Waffle House is like the go-to just covered a Friday night high school football game gotta write the story in 30 minutes find the Waffle House oh yeah either that or cookout you know one of the two (laughs) yep (laughs) <laughs> but enough on food. Um, I think, I think you know, and I hate to get back to the negative uh, because, you know, I would always love to talk about that, that good old cookout tray uh, and all the qualities around that. But, you know, there has been a bit of disappointment around this team. And, you know, but I, I do want to ask who on this team probably ha- just subverted and, and, you know, just completely fell short of the expectations you had for them coming in. You, you maybe set the bar, the bar high and just kind of crashed on top of them. I would, eh, I mean, over, the expectations for a lot of these guys were low because you had no idea what was happening. But two come to mind immediately. Andre Carrick on the offensive line, he transferred to Tennessee because he didn't start at Texas. And so he was looking for a place to start. Contrary to John Campbell, who I mentioned, started at Miami, so he wasn't transferring for playing time, which I think that was probably a red flag for him. He's banged up now and hasn't seen the field in a while. But when Cooper Mays was banged up and there was a lot of shuffling in the offensive line, he looked pretty bad. Always graded out bad. He'd get beat off the edge, just have the wrong assignments. Joe didn't start the year with a knee brace, but he's worn a knee brace in every game since taking a sack that Andre Carrick let up. So that's probably guy number one. And then Elijah Herring, since Keenan Peely got – he hasn't played terrible. He just hasn't been super consistent. And for a guy who's been in the program for a while and a lot of coaches talk highly of, you'd think he'd be a consistent guy. But he has up games like an A&M or South Carolina where he comes in, does his job, and gets off the field. But then he has a Missouri where he's always constantly a step behind. Or as Heifel said today, his eyes are in the wrong spot. So there's just so much, I guess, difference in his type of play to where you just don't understand why, why every game is so different. Why can't he just play consistent be the same guy every night? So he's somebody the coaches spoke highly of, and his other linebackers and defensive players said he communicates well. But it's just one night he'll come out and look amazing like you expect, and the other night he doesn't, like on Saturday, and it costs the defense pretty heavily. So those are the two guys that come to mind. I would say there's not somebody who's just been a complete letdown. Dante Thornton was a letdown before 
he kind of got it going the past three games, and now he's hurt, so he can't continue his upward trajectory that he was on, which sucks. But those are probably the two guys. I think I cheated on the question again, but hopefully it's a passing grade. Hey, definitely passing great. You know, you still get an A from me. You know, you're you're still crushing it out here. But yeah, I mean, at the very least, Elijah Heron's young. You know, I mean, he's he's sophomore. He's got plenty of time to grow into that role, especially since you know he wasn't a starter right away. But Andres Carrick is just one of those that you know, in your fourth season, you expect better. Uh, and you know, we won't we won't harp on it too much. But I feel like you just expect better from a guy like that. But. You know, we're going to hop right over. Um, we, we wasted enough time. And by wasted, I, I do not mean wasted. But, you know, we, we waited long enough to get into this matchup. Let's talk about it. How do Georgia and Tennessee match up, in your opinion? What, what do you think that, that Tennessee can do to possibly try and win this game? Georgia's run defense kind of took a step back from last year, comparatively. I mean, I was watching the Georgia-Missouri game. It was kind of close. We were all watching it in the press box. And we saw what Cody Schrader did to Tennessee, but it felt like Missouri was able to get push on Georgia and kind of have success against their seven on the defensive side. And I feel like if Tennessee can kind of replicate that and get some push, they can be in this game. I've talked about it over and over, but if that run game gets going and this offense has rhythm, it doesn't matter what Joe Milton does. Because when Jalen Wright gets hot, I mean, he's gone. So I think key number one for Tennessee is to push against that that Georgia defensive front and get the run game going. And then I think they need to, you know, double Brock Bowers and make sure there's two defenders wherever he is at. If that means it's a linebacker and a cornerback, if that means it's two-corner or a cornerback and a safety, I mean, you cannot let Brock Bowers get free in the open field because you know he will beat you. Make Georgia use a Lad McConkie or anybody else on that offense to defeat you because you know what Brock Bowers brings. So just try to get somebody – make somebody else do. So that would be my two things there. Overall, I don't think Tennessee matches up well. I did. I mean, they they matched up well against Missouri. We saw it happen. Georgia's offensive attack, their running game, their offensive linemen. If Tennessee plays like they did at Missouri, then I don't think they'll have any success at all. Probably be a four or five touchdown loss. If they bounce back from Missouri and play like they have at their best against Alabama in the first half. I think it's a little closer, and then, you know, maybe the Neyland Stadium voodoo swings them a touchdown or two, and that can get it going. But penalties have also been an issue for this team. I was doing some research for a story that went up this morning. Josh Heupel has been near the bottom of the NCAA at UCF and Tennessee every year he's been a head coach in penalty yards, which is not a stat you want to be near the bottom at. You want to be at the top with the least penalty yards. This year they average over 70 a game. Last year it was 69 yards a game, and then in 2021 it was 60 yards a game even, I believe. So that's not good because offense, like we've talked about, needs to get in a rhythm. But when you have false start or off or holding or anything like that, that rhythm is dead. So limit penalties, run the ball, don't let Brock Bowers catch the ball, and then hope that some Neyland Stadium magic will swing you a touchdown and see if you can't keep that win streak alive. Yeah, yeah, great keys. Um, it's tough. Uh, it's it, this is a it's a it's still a very good Georgia team. Uh, you got to hope to find whatever Missouri found and get that push up front and get guys like Jalen Wright and Jabari Small and Dylan Sam- and Dylan Sampson rolling. because uh, that's that's a good way of winning. It's it's how Tennessee's won in the past. You got to find a way to you know get Squirrel White free uh, from whatever defensive clutches he might be entangled in. 
um, you got to prevent just pressure because, you know, George is going to find a way to get a, a push uh, up front. So those things are going to be key. But then, you know, hoping that, uh, you know, George's offensive line, you know, some some days they look like the, the Joe Moore award winner. And then some days they look like uh, the opposite of that. So you got to hope for maybe one of those days that, you know, Georgia's O-line is, is struggling, you know, that you got to you got to hope for one of those. But yeah, and then you just got to hope that, you know, if, if Beck can't find Bowers and maybe he can't find McConkey, then you got to hope that Dominic Lovett and Ra-Ra and Marcus Rosemey Jackson and Dylan Bell and whatever the and the run, whoever leads Georgia in rushing in this game um, ends up taking over because, yeah, it's brutal. But, you know, I just went through a lot uh, of Georgia's different things. But I want to just ask you, you know, what do you think of this Georgia program? What are your overall thoughts on what they do and especially and what they do well and don't? Well, I mean, aside from their driving record on the road. I feel like the Georgia program is in a good spot, all things considered. I mean, this team is on pace to win another national championship. I thought they would take a step back from last year. I thought Ole Miss would give them a run for their money on Saturday. It was quite the opposite. Georgia played their best game. And I wonder, you know, Kirby Smart will never say it, but some people have talked about maybe not being ranked number one when the college football playoff rankings came out. Maybe that – Put a little fire under Georgia to stop beating, you know, stop messing around with Missouri for four quarters and just beat them or, you know, beat an Ole Miss. Which worries me with them coming to Knoxville for Tennessee's sake because if this team has that extra encouragement to prove they're number one in the college football playoff, Tennessee is probably in for a rude awakening. So I I think I think Georgia right now is in a good spot. They've done they've been undefeated for haven't lost a game in what two years now and still aren't ranked number one. It's kind of crazy to think about. And they've done it with quarterbacks who are by far like no Baker Mayfield in the backfield. I mean, Stetson Bennett was a statue, but he got the job done. Carson Beck can move a little bit, but he's still, I wouldn't say a great quarterback, but it doesn't matter because the other team is only scoring 14, 15, 16 points a game. You put up three touchdowns, you win the game. So I think Kirby Smart's got Georgia rolling. They still recruit like crazy lead, with a ton of five stars every year. So I think the program's set up good, and the only thing that could stop them now would be scandal or crime or, you know, the stuff that no head coach wants to hear or have break at 12 a.m. on a Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. No, it's – and you know what? Stuff that I don't particularly want to hear at 12 a.m. on a Thursday night because then i got to write about it. Um, <laughs> that's a very selfish take, though. But, um, uh, yeah, it is a good team. It's it's full of, full of talent and, and guys that they add – and they, you know, unlike Clemson, who this is an unnecessary shot at Clemson out of nowhere, but you know they use the transfer portal well, um, as well as recruit well. I mean, they're just a good team. It's a very good team, and um, bought into you know, the NIL sphere exactly. Which you know, modern. Yeah, they they they've they've evolved with the game, and and that's the biggest thing. And they're just playing well. They're playing really really well, and we'll see how it goes. Neyland Stadium is not a fun place to play in. Um, it's a fun place to watch a game in, uh, but I don't know if it'd be fun to necessarily have to be screamed at in. Um, so ultimately I think it's going to be a really fun game. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, Beck had one of his top performances against Ole Miss. He was getting the ball down the field really well, although the deep ball is still a little bit suspect, but you know, still, um, a very good team, but let's hop right into it. Let's get a score prediction. We've kind of gotten the, the indication of, of who you think is going to come away with this game, but let's get a score prediction. And then, you know, based on, you know, the outcome of this game, where do both of these teams kind of go through the rest of the season with just one regular season game left and, of course, potential postseason play? 
Yeah, so I think Georgia will win this game 36-17. I just don't see Tennessee's offense being able to function how they need to against Georgia. Georgia has just proved it last weekend. Before last weekend, I probably would have thought it was a lot closer or maybe Tennessee would win. But Georgia looked very good and Tennessee did not. So I don't see Tennessee winning this game. I've been wrong a lot this year, probably the most I've ever been wrong. Wrong against South Carolina, Alabama. I mean, no, South Carolina was wrong. A&M, I had right. Florida, I had wrong. So maybe I'll be wrong again. Who knows? But I would say Georgia takes this game. For Tennessee, I think they finished 8-4, and four, which is a good season, like, compared to where this program has been in the past 10, 15 years. But the Josh Heupel expectations that he set last year by beating Alabama and getting a 10-win season with Hendon Hooker, it's going to be disappointing for fans, but it shouldn't be. Heupel's only in his third year and still trying to rebuild this program from an NCAA investigation. So I think they beat Vanderbilt. And I think we joked about it before we got on here, but they'll probably head to, like, the Mayonnaise Bowl or the Music City Bowl or some weird, funny bowl and play a random ACC team that nobody really thinks is good at football but is probably really good at basketball and then beat them in the bowl game and finish 9 and probably 9-4 and four after the bowl game. So that's what I would think for Tennessee. For Georgia, they'll probably go to the college football playoff. I don't know. I would think they'd win the SEC against Alabama. They haven't looked. Alabama's been up and down this year. And then Georgia would probably go to the college football playoff. And I have no idea what will happen to Georgia once they face, you know, those the Michigan-Ohio State-Washington teams that play no competition all year until they get to the playoff. So for that, I probably shouldn't predict it because I'll be way off. But i say Georgia will probably roll undefeated into the playoff, and then Tennessee after a bowl game will be 9-4. A disappointment to fans when in reality, if you look at the past – 10 years, maybe, since Lane Kiffin, it shouldn't be this bad. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also think that you have to, like, just, just like, relax, calm down. You know, nine wins is still a great year. You know, it's taking a step in the right direction. You look at the 2024 recruiting class. You got two five-stars coming in, including a Mike Matthews, who, you know, if, if you've been to a, a Parkview game here in Georgia, you would know that, no, yeah, that dude's pretty good. So, you know. A lot of talent coming into this Tennessee program. It's slow. Things are rebuilding. But just patience, I think, is the biggest thing is, yeah, and not every year is going to be a 10-1 year. You know, not every year is going to be a national championship contending season. You know, the the teams that can do that are like one in a million. You know, there's there's really only a couple that can do that consistently. And then even then, it's just you're waiting for that to kind of fall off. Um, you know, Kirby managed to get – to the the postseason his second year but then it took a while for him to get back you know um same thing with Nick Saban you know so I think patience is key for Tennessee fans because your team is still good you've still got plenty of talent you're gonna have another year of squirrel white with more development you're bringing in a top tier freshman wide receiver bring more help on the edge you got Nico uh, uh, year next it's year Nico it's Nico year next year. You've actually got a full year of Nico yep. um, who, who had a full year of sitting and learning the system and getting fixing his, 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 uh, his mechanics, which I know we talked about in the preseason. So like patience, I, I know that this season has been great and you know, it's not over, you know, there's still could be plenty of fun to be had, uh, especially in potentially this weekend or in the bowl game. But you know, uh, I know there's not a ton of tennis fans that necessarily listen to this, but, Patience. I think that's I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and then just be excited for basketball season or something because they look good so far. Baseball team will be good. So by the time we get into spring football and which 
feels once again we're three years away and we start talking about why Tennessee had a nine-win season and we're dissecting these freshmen and Nico at practice and doing all this stuff, it'll be a lost thought because, you know, Tennessee definitely won't get down to the season's Yeah, for sure Lots won't. of sarcasm. <laughs> but you know what? Hey, you know what? Volleyball's doing great too. Enjoy yourself <laughs> some volleyball, basketball. Yeah. We tie it. We tie it all back together. Yeah. You it'll know, all and, be okay. It'll be the all nine be, it'll, win. The athletic department will survive a nine win season. I promise. I can do. I can do that from all the way over here in Athens. But either way, as we tied it back all the way, uh, of course, ending with volleyball, just the way we started. We'll go ahead and wrap this up, Caleb. Thank you so much for joining me. Go ahead, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your stuff, and uh, we'll let, let's wrap this one up. Yeah, so my Twitter is at Caleb Jarrow 16 C-A-L-E-B-J-A-R-R-E-A-U-1-6. Had a super cool feature story come out today about the Texas Rangers strength and conditioning coach. He actually played at Tennessee, graduated from Tennessee, and got his start in coaching in Knoxville. So if you're listening to this and you're free and like baseball, that's a good read, I would hope. And then um, all of our content can be found at utdailybeacon.com. For anybody coming into town this weekend for the game, we dropped our basketball preview last Wednesday. It's got a super cool cover, a super cool graphic inside with a ton of basketball players. We talked about it already with no sarcasm involved, I promise, that this team might make it past the Sweet 16. So maybe pick up a basketball preview, and then you'll have it to wave around if they make it to, who knows, an Elite Eight. The final four might have a trip to Phoenix. So, yeah. And we're staying busy. We're producing like 30, 35 articles a week. Volleyball's good. Soccer just upset Xavier in the NCAA tournament. Having mentioned soccer, volleyball will host here more than likely in a couple, three weeks or so. Men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, softball. All of the above, we've got it covered. So, anybody listening, I encourage them to check it out. Yeah, definitely. And and again, the, that, that feature story was super cool. I, I love that you got to, to reach out and get to talk with him. So that's that was super cool. Um, but yeah, as always, thank you so much uh, for joining me, man. It, it was a pleasure to talk, uh, not just football, but a little bit of all sports here today. Oh, yeah. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate it.